Good morning. Uh, I, I uh, am so glad to have uh, so many of you with us this morning who might be guests. If I haven't met you yet, my name, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Venture Church. Um, we're in this teaching series, Beautiful Contrast, and as we get into it, I, I want to kind of relay a story that's been happening. It's been ongoing in my life for a couple of years now. Uh, when I first moved into the house that I live in, Right now, uh, I went for the first time to mow the backyard, to mow the grass, right? And I get back there, and I find the people who lived there before me had apparently put this rose bush in this kind of weird spot. It wasn't in a flower bed. It was kind of like right in the middle of like a grassy area. And I'm, so I'm mowing the grass, and uh, you know, so to mow the grass, I have to mow around this, this rose bush, and, and it's, it's inconvenient. It's like, ah. Now, I know that like rose bushes are the queen of all, you know, rose like flower plants, right? Like they, they get the, and people see roses and they're like, oh, they're the best flower ever. But me, I'm like a function over fashion kind of guy. I'm like, this is stupid. Like, why is this rose bush in the middle of my yard? I'm trying to mow the grass. So I tried a few times mowing around it and, uh, and, and, and then you, you end up with that tall grass that gets right next to the stem. So like, then I got to weed eat anyway. And I'm like, if I weed eat too close to the rose bush, it's going to kill the rose bush. So there's all this stuff's going on. So one day while I'm rosing, it occur, while I'm rosing, while I'm mowing, it occurs to me that I am pushing a giant rotating blade on wheels and that at a whim I could take this rose bush out so I'm like that seems the most logical thing to me um husbands in the room I just let me speak to you real quick before you mow over a rose bush check with your wife first okay because she might like it just saying I later felt that that was true but uh at the moment it felt like a great idea so I'm like and it's gone and there's like rose bush everywhere I'm like yes I owned this rose bush and so I got to pause the story right there, okay? I'm going to get back to it. But remember the rose bush. I mowed it down. I owned it. But it wasn't the last time I had an interaction with that rose bush. Today we're continuing this series, Beautiful Contrast, and it's a teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, which is this really huge section of teaching that Jesus did. We can read about it in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you've got a Bible today, uh, go ahead and grab it. Actually, Patrick and I have been encouraging you uh, to bring your Bibles to church on Sundays. We get real lazy in our culture because we're like, you know, we've got the internet. I can look at a Bible on my phone real easy. But there's something about having the words of God in your hands. And so if you've got one with you today, go and pull it out. If you don't have one with you today, uh, there's no goal star system here. Um, those of you who had it, good for you, but you don't get gold stars, sorry. Uh, but there are, uh, there are some Bibles under your seats, and if you need one to keep for yourself, feel free to grab it, and you can, uh, you can keep that or just use it today. The things we'll be reading will also be on the screen behind me here. Um, but the whole idea will be in Matthew chapter 5, which is, is a biography. It's one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus, and you find it in the New Testament of the Bible, about two-thirds of the way back through your Bible. And when we land in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus is doing this teaching. And what he does, we're finding, is he talks about living life the Jesus way. This is how I say you should live. Versus, this is how the world says you should live. And what we're finding is that it is a beautiful contrast. That when we live life the Jesus way, our life can be so much richer, so much fuller, and so much closer to God than we could ever hope living it on our own or living it by the way of the world. And so we're going to be in chapter 5. Uh, what's about to happen here, we, we've gotten kind of some introductory stuff out of the way. Patrick and I have gone through this section called the Beatitudes. And we're about to step into this kind of middle section where Jesus is going to take on six major sins. 
or six big uh, kind of issues that pretty much every culture, every people group deal with. And he's like, let me tell you what I think you should do about these things. Let me tell you what God is saying about these things. And so there's these six things we're going to get through. We're actually going to deal with each of those uh, over the next few weeks, one at a time. We're not going to get into all six of them today. We're actually going to just do the first one. But before he even gets there, Jesus builds a framework, okay? So as we jump in today, what I want to do is help us see that framework together. Uh, if you've ever uh, talked about like seeing, seeing the world through certain colored glasses or whatever, you know, that's your perspective, that's what you're coming at. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is the framework that you should see the rest of what I'm about to say through. All right, so you're hanging with me on that? We're going to first look at the framework, then we're going to look at this first thing that Jesus wants to talk about of the six. Jesus is about to get into some real life issues. And so we're going to pick up at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, okay? Verse 17. We're actually reading a, a pretty big chunk today altogether, but we're just going to read verse 17 to start with. Jesus starts like this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We'll stop there. We'll keep going in just a second. Jesus starts out this little section talking about something called the law. And I am sure that 99% of the people in the group, 99.999% of the people knew exactly what he was saying, but you may not, okay? And so let me just kind of fill in the gap for you there. The law, uh, specifically in this setting, the Jewish law, was the code of conduct, the moral code that the Jews lived by. Uh, you maybe uh, have heard of the Ten Commandments. You know, most of us have. Uh, it's been in the news and stuff lately, and the Ten Commandments. Well, this is part of the Jewish law. And so these are the, the code that God wants us to do, things that he doesn't want us to do, things that he wants us to live. And so for many people, the Jewish people, they would see the law as inseparable from their relationship with God. Okay? And so Jesus says this. As he gets going, he says, I want you to understand something about the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. There was this idea floating around that Jesus was here to destroy the Jewish way of life. If you read through some of the things that some of the Jews were saying about Jesus, they were scared. They was coming to, to, to tear apart everything Moses and Abraham, the forefathers of the Jewish faith, had built. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I came to do at all. I didn't come to abolish the Jewish way of life. Actually, what I'm saying is I came to fulfill it. My way is the fulfillment. It is the realization of what the law existed for in the first place. Um, I'm going to put it in a different way. I was reading from a guy named Seth uh, Seth. Wilson um, earlier this week, and he's a Christian author and scholar, and, and he compares the law to an apple blossom, okay? And so just check out this little quote. It's pretty, pretty clear. He says, the apple blossom is fulfilled when it matures into a fruit, and when that takes place, the blossom falls off. It's not abolished. It's fulfilled. It has served its purpose. And so the law, the Jewish way of approaching God, it served a purpose for a time, but Jesus is initiating a new era. Christianity is the fruit of Judaism. It's not an ending of an old way and a beginning of a new way. It's a continuation of God's plan for the world from start to finish. And this Christianity would be the way that the whole world, not just Jews, would know about God's love. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. And with that, we can then read the rest of what he says as he continues to build this framework for the, for the rest of chapter 5. Uh, so he says in verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
Just leave that up there for a second. I want to unpack this a little bit. There's a lot of talk in Christianity about grace and forgiveness, right? Like we talk about it all the time here at our churches. It's a big deal. Grace and faith are the paths to forgiveness. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can buy from God. It's not something that we can pay him back for. So it's very important to understand from the, from the onset that in Christianity, it's not a list of rules or regulations that we have to follow to earn God's favor. He gives it to us because he loves us and because we have faith in him. But one thing Jesus is saying here is this. God does have expectations for our life. Like he wants us to do things a certain way. You can't just do whatever you want to do. Yes, I save you by grace because of your faith, but... It's within the confines of that grace and faith and forgiveness while you're in that zone. I do still have expectations for your life. I want you to live a certain way. I want you to act a certain way. I want you to uphold a certain level of, of morality with your life. And that's why he says in the bottom of this section, he says, whoever practices these teachings, talking about the law, whoever practices these teachings and commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to be a good moral person. It doesn't matter what you've done up to this point. I can forgive you for that. But within my grace, do good things. Honor me. Be moral. Be holy. And then he mentions to this group of people. He mentions, he talks about this group of people called the Pharisees. That's what's happening right after this verse we just read. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about who they are in case you don't know. The Pharisees were one of the major uh, sects of leaders among Judaism at the time. And they were famous or maybe infamous for being super legalistic about the law. And so they actually did something that there were all these laws that existed in, in the Old Testament way of life. And they created dozens of extra laws to add on to the ones that God had already given them. And it was just basically so that, like, if you follow our extra laws, you're guaranteed to never get anywhere close to breaking God's original laws. But what they did is they created layers and layers of rules and rules and rules. And Jesus addresses this over and over and over and as he does his ministry because this is the problem with that for the Pharisees. He says, listen, your heart is not in this. You're doing this to make yourself look good. You're doing this to make sure that you're being super religious, that you're in the right place at the right time with the right people. But that's not what my law is about. My law is about you seeking my heart. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus uh, calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Which that might not sound like a big cut down today, but think about what he's saying. He essentially says it in, this, in, in the story where he calls him that. He says, listen, it's like, it's, like, it's like you've died, but what you did was you painted the outside of your tomb so that everybody on the outside would still think it looks pretty and inviting, but on the inside, you're just full of dead men's bones. So Jesus says to these guys, so he's not very favorable about the Pharisees' way of thinking about the law. Jesus' biggest issue with the Pharisees was that they taught people how to live for God by adding layers and layers of religion and rules and rules and rules. But in the process, it made it impossible for people to actually live for God because they were actually living for the rules. They weren't living for God. And so that's how Jesus is beginning this whole teaching series. Uh, let me um, kind of step into a different thing. I, I want to I put us in the mindset of where Jesus is about to go. As he's building this framework, this idea of like, your heart for God versus your checklist for God. You following that? Okay, and so he's kind of putting up this dichotomy of what's going on. I want to play a little game with us this morning to kind of illustrate it. I'm going to call it the A and B game, okay? You can do this. All right, the A and B game. We're going to do a multiple choice, uh, a little trivia show, quiz show, uh, and I'm going to let you as an audience decide what you think is the best, um, the best answer to each of the questions, and, uh, and we can kind of see a little bit about the way that Jesus is teaching here. So let's look at, look at three questions. Let's look at this first question. The first question is this. If the power in your house went out while you were watching a movie, 
Would you? A, spend extra time. Is it up here? Yeah. Would, would you, A, go check the breaker box to see that you can get the power back on and possibly call the power company to report a power outage? Okay, that's option A. Or would you, B, make sure you keep a good seat so that if the power comes back on, you still have a good view of the TV? Okay? A or B. You guys choose. A or B. Which one's most? Yeah. I, okay. Duh. All right. Question number two. You get a letter from your kid's teacher. And it says that they're failing their classes because they don't know how to read very well. That stinks, right? Okay. Do you, A, encourage your kid to sit closer to the smart kids in class and cheat off their paper? That seems reasonable. I mean, it's like, really, the goal is to get good grades, right? Or do you, B, spend extra time helping your child with their reading and maybe get your child into some tutoring with an expert? A or B, parents? Duh, right? It's a no-brainer. We do B. Just check out the last question, number three. If you came to the scene of an accident, and it was evident that a person was seriously cut and bleeding a lot, what would be your first priority in saving this person's life? Will you, A, apply pressure to the wound to try to stop the bleeding? Or B, get a washcloth to wash the blood off the person's face because they look kind of icky? <laughs> a or B? Yeah, A. Now, these might seem like stupid examples. Uh, they might seem silly. They might seem trivial. But all three of these scenarios have the same framework as what Jesus is teaching about God's expectations for us. The only way to deal with a real problem in life is to go to the source of the problem. Turn on the power. Help the kids learn how to read. Stop the bleeding. Go to the source of the problem. And the same thing is true when it comes to living for God. The only way to deal with the sin in our life, that thing that separates us from God, the only way to deal with that is by dealing with it at its roots. Go to the heart of the issue. That's Jesus' whole problem with the Pharisees, and that's why he says, you know what? Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. If you're going to live for me, it can't just be about checking the rules off. It can't just be about looking good and getting a good seat in church and whatever it is that people focus on. It's got to be about seeking me with your heart. And so he's going to go into this, I told you, there's going to be these six things that he gets into. And, and each time he goes in and he, and he kind of comes in with the same framework. This is what the law says, and the law is good. But let's get to the source, the heart, the root of what this law is really about. Okay, before I move on, i got to make sure we're all on the same page. Do we get that? I mean, the whole idea, Jesus is saying, let's get to the root. Let's dig out to the bottom of this thing and say, so let's, let's move on and let's just go to this first thing that Jesus deals with. Uh, it's actually murder. Murder, which we all have problems with murder, right? Uh, all the parents are like, almost, <laughs> almost. So he starts with murder. In Matthew 5, 21, he says, you've heard that it says, it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which that's an Aramaic uh, slam, it basically means you empty-headed idiot. <laughs> kind of like that one. <laughs> Raka. Um, he says, they're answerable to court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa, Jesus just got real serious. Murder. When you talk about morality, uh, it seems like murder is on everyone's list of, like, the worst thing you could possibly do, right? It's like, it's up there. It's up there. We, 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 when you look at the Ten Commandments, like, murder is, is the Sixth Commandment. And in virtually every single culture in the world, it's considered an abomination. Like, you don't kill people. And if you kill somebody, then you're totally, you know, you should be punished. And so we hear Jesus say this. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds totally good. Um, in fact, um, 
we have phrases that we use all the time. Well, it's not like I ever murdered anybody, right? It's like you're trying to kind of rate yourself, and it's become kind of the standard by which we, we gauge morality. I've never killed anybody. And if you've never killed anybody, can I just say this to you? Good for you. <laughs> Keep that up. Keep not killing people. That's a great plan. Um, and if you have, I need to say this. There's forgiveness for all sin, all mistakes. And so I don't even want to make light of that. I mean, Jesus has forgiveness for no matter what we've done, even that. But Jesus raises the bar. Here Jesus has something to say to the rest of us, those of us who haven't murdered someone, or maybe even if you have, this is still true for you. This is what he says here. He says, listen, let me start by handling this murder issue at the root. I'm telling you that you need to learn to control your anger at the root because people who can't control their anger will be judged by God for that in the same way that a murderer will. Judgment is judgment, right? Punishment is punishment. Separation from God is separation from God. And he said, like, I, don't, I want us to get all high and mighty here thinking we haven't done the worst thing. The question is, where is your heart towards me? Every day we can watch the news and we can hear of stories of people who are just senselessly have their lives taken from them. And it's terrible, even in our own streets right here in this city. And some are crimes of passion, and some are crimes of, of, of premeditation. But at the end of it all, it's just like, man, what a waste. How terrible. But none of those crimes just came out of nowhere. Okay, there was not a moment where someone's like, I mean, I mean, occasionally there's accidents, right? But for the most part, when you talk about murder, you're talking about like, it came from somewhere. And here, here's what Jesus is saying, and it's what I've, I believe is true. It came from seeds that were planted in that person's mind long before the act ever happened. Seed after seed after seed of aggression and anger and not being able to deal with reality as it presents itself. And these seeds begin to take root, and these seeds of anger begin to grow. And suddenly, I'm calling it seeds, but maybe it's more like a little flower bed of anger. And these little moments start to pop up their little angry flower heads every now and then. And we just, ugh. And, and for you, we all have some level of anger in our life. I'm sure if you don't, I mean, there are a few of you who don't. And I'm just like, wow, that is the chillest person ever. I wish I could be more like that. But, you know, we, we, anger is a very common thing that we deal with. And it normally begins small. It started when you were a kid. Uh, I got to tell you, when I, when I first started following Jesus with my life, uh, my serious anger issue was one of the first things he had to work on. Ask my wife. We actually dated in high school, and I was a different person. I don't have time to tell you the story about the time I punched my brother through a pane glass window, got the scars to prove it. It was over a pair of windbreaker pants. I'm just saying, for those of you who are a little younger, there is such a thing called windbreaker pants. For those of you who remember Windbreaker Pants, you're like, those are not worth punching anybody through a glass door for. You understand I had anger issues, okay? And God has really done a number on my life in that. And so maybe you struggle with that too, but it doesn't start with murder. It normally starts with someone cuts you off in traffic and you just start, ah, you stupid idiot. Ah, learn to use a signal. You're yelling out the window, bumping, beeping your horn. Your kids are in the back seat like, what is wrong with mom? Like, I don't know. You have a bad experience at a restaurant, and, 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 and the waitress messes up your order. Maybe she forgets to get your drink order right, and, and you're at work the next day just slamming this restaurant and talking about how incompetent their staff is, and oh, my goodness, I'll never go back. And why? Because I was inconvenienced, and I'm angry about it. And you see what we've done. We've, we've moved in those two scenarios, in traffic and at the restaurant. We've moved from being inconvenienced to suddenly making character judgments about the people who made us inconvenienced. Why? Because we were angry. 
And anger affects our life. And many a spouse has become angry at their spouse and intentionally becomes make, begins to make life difficult for them. Just intentionally. Why? Because I'm angry at you. You deserve this. And you're driving a wedge in that relationship. And right now you feel like you're justified, but three, four, five, ten years later, maybe the relationship's ruined beyond repair. Why? Because of these seeds of anger that grew out of control. Yeah, a coworker that you work with, and, and they, they, they just tick you off. Maybe they're a jerk. Maybe they messed up the paperwork. Whatever. They ruined your day, and, well, you're going to go back to the office, and you're trash-talking them. You're saying all these bad things. And, and, and in the moment, it feels good, and everybody rallies around. You're like, yeah, man, he did that to me, too. What you don't realize is that maybe you are corroding and ruining their reputation at work and ruining their credibility. Maybe they aren't really good at their job. Maybe they're not, and they just need a hand up. But in the process, because of your anger, you're causing all kinds of damage. Jesus says, we've got to kill this at its root. Because anger doesn't only lead to murder. Jesus uses murder because it's one of the Ten Commandments and it's something that everybody would relate to and everybody understands it. But anger can lead to so many other destructive and irreparable things. Uncontrolled anger leads to corroded relationships. It leads to bad uh, reputations. It leads to divorce. It leads to destruction of property. It leads to a distorted view of reality. It even leads to the alienation from the people who otherwise would want to help you, but they can't stand being with you because you're angry all the time. And you, you see how those seeds, they take root. And they start to grow, and they kill us. And so Jesus compares anger to murder here, and I can see why. Because it just, it's the root of so many evil things. Jesus could talk about a lot of sin here, and he, and he does. He talks about five more, and then there's the whole Bible, and there's all kinds of things he talks about. But I think he uses anger as his jumping point here for a really practical reason. Because I think Jesus gets us. He's talking to a group of people. He's like, look, I get it. You get ticked off sometimes. I get it. The Time Warner Cable guy said he'd be here in his two-hour window. It's been three days. I get it. You're angry. You know? But don't go burning down his office. Like, let's, let's, let's deal with this in a healthy and respectful manner. So here's the question. Anger is a thing, right? Can we agree? Can we be like, yep, anger's a thing. Say, whoop, whoop, if you're with me. Yeah, okay, so I don't know why I did that, but that's the thing you can do in church. Um, so, so we're there. What do we do about it? What do we do with our, with our anger? Um, well, first, I think we need to take a step back. And we need to realize this. First of all, anger is a thing that God gave us. It is. It's an emotion. We watched that video earlier from the Pixar movie, and there's all those emotions. And anger is an emotion. It's actually a healthy emotion. I mean, it's, it's, you can experience anger. You're supposed to experience joy and, 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 and other emotions and fear and all kinds of things. Those are, those are good things because it helps us have healthy responses to stimulus around us. And so God gets us. He, he gave us that emotion. It's not like anger just came out of nowhere. No, God was like, listen, this is a way you can respond to things. Because there are some things that you should be angry about. You should be angry about injustice. You should be angry about corruption. You should be angry about evil. You should be angry about things in this world that take away from God's righteous plan for our planet and our people. Right? We should be angry about those things. God is described as a God of, of wrath many times. There's some things that God gets straight up pissed about. He is upset when we sin against him and we know better. He is upset when we go against his plan for the world. He's angry about that. 
The Bible calls him a God of wrath in many places. There's a time when Jesus sees that there are a group of people in the temple and they are taking advantage of people during their time of worship and making a profit off of them. You can read that whole story. But Jesus does this and he sees it and he is angry. So he gets a whip and he starts Indiana Jones style and he starts kicking over tables and he's saying, you guys have turned my father's house of worship into a den of robbers. I'm angry about that. And he cleanses the temple. And so God gives us anger and there are times when it's okay. The times when it is okay is when we see things in the world that are corroding the foundation of the righteous way God wanted things to be. Evil is something that we should be angry about. But how we deal with it is important. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about right here. Jesus is talking about the type of anger that comes from a place that causes us to do unrighteous things when you get so upset about something that you find yourself just cussing somebody else out. Why? Because I'm angry. You've crossed the line. When you're upset about something that's going on with, with, with your kids and you, and you go into berserker rage mode on your poor kid who's just like, Dad, I'm sorry, I forgot to put my underwear in the laundry again. And the next thing you know, you're freaking out on them. You've crossed the line. When you go damaging people's property or reputation or emotionally abuse them, You've crossed the line, and guys, I just got to tell you, that's, God's not cool with that. And these are seeds that have begun to take root in your heart, and they'll start to come out in your life as fruit that nobody wants to eat. This is worldly anger. It's focused on me, looking out for me, because don't you know I'm the center of the universe? <laughs> and I need things this way right now. And Jesus takes that anger, and he does something incredible with it, he drops it into the same column as murder. <laughs> and so I think that we probably need to take a look at that. And we need to get control of our anger before it controls us. The world tells us that when someone does you wrong, psh, don't get back, get even. Right? Call them names, shut them out, key their car, hold a grudge, hurt them, swing below the belt, like whatever it takes. I'm going to stick it to you because you got me. And Jesus says, no, you got to kill this at the roots. Ain't nothing good going to come from this. You got to let it go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus gives us a couple of ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I could talk a lot about ways to deal with anger. This is not a group therapy session. Uh, I'm not qualified for that. Um, but there are, some, there are some ideas that Jesus gives us here. And I want to say, as you read this, what I want to also encourage you to do is... Seek help from godly counsel. Like you might just need to find a Christian friend. Maybe you're just here for church for the first time today, and you're like, I don't know. I'm just ticked at the world, and what you're saying kind of makes sense, but I don't know how to deal with it. Well, it starts by surrounding yourself with people that have a God perspective in their life. And it might be to the point that you need to go um, find some good Christian counseling, like a professional counselor, and get some appointments with them, spend some time with them, because they can help you get the tools to dig down into the roots and deal with that. But Jesus gives us a couple of other practical things just to be aware of. So starting at verse 23, and we'll look at these, these two ideas uh, kind of back to back. The first is this, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. That's crazy. That's crazy. This, the, the, I want you to 
hear what he's saying. This is really cool. Jesus says that managing anger against, this is kind of a friend. This is against someone that you know, okay? So managing anger against someone that you know, that you have a relationship, is actually a way that we can worship, or at least improve our worship experience. He actually says, like, if you're in the middle of church, like, you're in church today, and you're just like over it with somebody, and you're just, it's just grinding at you. He says, like, leave your offering at the altar. You know, it's like a metaphor. Like, get, get, get up, like, get up and leave. And, like, I know it would be awkward for you to get up right now and leave, but probably when you leave today, make a phone call or go to somebody's house. I did that one time at church, by the way. This was going on. I was so convicted by this. I drove to somebody's house, and we dealt with it right there. And here's, here's what you got to do. you got to deal with things on your end. They might not be ready. They might not be there. They might be blindsided by the idea that you're even bringing it up because you're the one holding a grudge. Maybe they don't even know that they did something. But Jesus says you need to deal with it right now. Don't let that fester. Don't let that sour in your soul. You need to move forward with it. I love kind of the undertone of what he's saying. He's like, don't, don't you bring that drama into my house and stand there in front of me singing praise about how much you love me when I told you one of the greatest commandments is to love each other. And you can't get along with each other. But before you come here bringing me your offerings, make sure you've done everything you can to make this right and get this anger out of you. What good practical advice. And, and I love because by doing that, it enhances our worship. And we get to understand God on a different level. I told you this is one of the biggest things God worked in my life as I just learned to follow him. And it's true for me. If I can let go of that stuff, I can connect with God on such a better level. Then in verse 25, he continues. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Don't raise your hand right now, but think real quick. How many of you guys are in some sort of legal battle right now? I know because I'm friends with a lot of you that a lot of you are. Whether it's something about property, something about some moving violation that you didn't do because none of us did. But whether it's a, um, you know, a, a custody battle issue or you're in the middle of a, you know, a, a divorce or, or some kind of thing like that. Maybe it's a bigger uh, issue dealing with like a, lot, a lot of money. Like th this is interesting what Jesus says here. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. So we're talking about somebody who's got something against you and they're taking big strides to just kind of hurt you. I mean, that's kind of what that is. He says, do it while you're still together on your way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to an officer and you may be thrown into prison in other words, it's going to be a whole rigmarole. If you've been through court, you know. It's years and years and years of your life. Verse 26, truly I tell you, you will not get out until you paid every last penny. And I think, I mean, this, this is like, it seems like a specific type of legal case. But I think the whole idea here is, in the first section we just dealt with, like, uh, if you got anger towards a friend, if you got beef with a, with a friend, um, deal with it this way. If you got... Anger issues or problems with an adversary. You might want to call them an enemy. Jesus talks about enemies actually in a couple of verses. You can go and read ahead if you don't want to listen to me because Jesus talks about it. I'd rather you listen to him anyway. Um, and as we're going through this, uh, he, he's like, there, there's going to be some people who are against you. Still, deal with this as quickly as possible. Take the high road. He even says, deal with it while you're on your way to court. Like in other words, like let's not drag this out. Because part of us wants to stick it to him. Oh, fine, you going to drag me through court? Fine. I'll sit through every single session you want to sit through. And Jesus is like, man, this ain't going to be over until you paid every last penny. Let's just deal with this. Let's kill it at the roots. You know, before um, the, inf the invention of antibiotics, 
people would often get a small cut. Maybe they'd have an injury that jammed their toe real bad and, and, and scuff up their skin. And, and, and then what would happen was that little area would become infected. And there's no antibiotic. There's no way of dealing with this. And, and it was crazy. It's throughout history. Lots of people died. I don't know. I didn't do research. I'm not um, a research scientist. But uh, I, would, I would wager thousands, if not millions of people throughout history have died because of infection spreading through their body over something small. Because it festers and it grows and it spreads and it becomes toxic and it will take you out. Anger is the same thing. In fact, that could be said about any, what we might see as a small level sin against God. It, it festers and it grows and it can take you out. Jesus says, let's deal with this before it becomes a problem. Let's seek righteousness. Uh, Paul is the author of a lot of the New Testament. He was an apostle that went around, and, uh, and this guy had uh, some serious anger issues. Uh, he, he didn't like the way some people were living because they were becoming Christians, and he wasn't a Christian yet. And so he just would go to their house, and he would drag them out of their house, and, and he would kill them. So if anybody understands this issue, it might be Paul, and I love some of the things he teaches us as he was changed by God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, this is what Paul says. He says, in your anger, do not sin. This is great advice. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is on to something here. God understands that anger is a natural part of our emotion. In your anger, do not sin. Like, if you're going to be angry because there's some things you should be angry about, that's fine. But don't let it lead to unrighteousness. Don't let it lead to sin. And he gives this advice. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. I think this is something that many people have taken very literally, and I think that probably it should be. <laughs> like, because sometimes when we sleep it off, the next day we wake up and we're like, oh, maybe it wasn't that big a deal. But it's still festering. In this last sentence, don't give the devil a foothold. Because what happens is, when we let anger control us, the devil can use it as a tool to bring us down and pull us away from God's plan for our life. How crazy that a small thing that started as a small issue and has grown and grown and grown and grown has now become a tool of the devil to pull us away from God. And it's something that many of us will just be like, you know what, you just got to let her blow up because, man, that's just how she do. <laughs> you got to let her do it. But in reality, all we're doing is saying, Man, just let her get eaten up by the devil. Because that's what anger will do to us. Uh, I want to encourage you. If this is something that you struggle with, like I have, take it to God. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. It's a metaphor we use, but it really is kind of a beautiful thing. Because when we take our things, and we, and we can physically, this is something I've seen in exercise people do, that you, you pray. You're talking to God. And I don't know if you've prayed much. I hope that you'll try. And maybe this is the first thing you can do. This is what we do to anger. So I want to kind of do this together real quick. It, 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 it could be anger. It could be just something that you're holding on to real tight in your life. So if you will, if you want to, do this with me. You kind of hold your hands in front of you like this real tight, real, 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 real tight. And this is what we do to issues in our life. And it might be anger. Or it might be just something that we're just kind of holding on to because it's consuming our life right now. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Begin to pray to God. And do this physically with your hands. And it will help because just the physical release of this is going to help. And you say a prayer. It's a simple prayer. And you're like, God, I'm just dealing with this. I'm having a hard time letting go. Like it's, it's consuming me right now. And I just want to let go. And I want you to have it. And then in that moment, right now, or in the quiet of your own home, you can turn your hands upside down. 
and you can just relax and you can let go. And a crazy thing happens to your body at that moment. As those muscles relax and it goes up your arm, you feel it in your spine and you start to feel like, like that's what it feels like to let go. But at the same time, you've gone to Jesus in faith and you said, listen, I believe that you're powerful and I don't know how it all works, but I need you to help me get rid of this. And that's a really practical way of dealing with those seeds of anger or other aggression and animosity that are growing in our life that you just pluck them up and you drop them. And you pluck them up and you drop them. And you identify. Maybe you need a journal that you write in. His name is Bill. <laughs> and you take that and you're like, God bless Bill because I'm not feeling it. And I don't know. And, and, and you just, you take the paper and, and, you, and you lay it before God. And you're like, this is, I got to let you have this. Or it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Or it's a child who you did everything for. But then it doesn't seem like it's working out right now. Or, or it's that coworker that you're with and you just can't stand them. And I get it. But Jesus said, don't let that separate you from me. Let me deal with them. You try to let go. Unless you deal with sin at its roots, it's going to come back to bite. Remember the rose bush? I started with a story with at the very beginning, the rose bush that uh, it was growing in my yard. It was in a stupid place, and I, you know, I wanted grass there. I didn't want a rose bush there. So I mowed it down. It was, it was cool, and I had this moment of victory, and then I had to rake up all the rose pieces because that made a big mess. But then I was like, yes, I'm done. You know what happened? It was a few weeks later, maybe a month later, I'm mowing again. Little rose bush. And I was like, <laughs> I've got a lawnmower. I laughed. I mowed. I carried on. A few weeks later. Bush is back. I laughed. I mowed. I carried on. A few weeks later, Bush is back. Happened all summer. I'm like, oh, come on. Speaking of anger, yeah, like, I'm angry at this bush. Fall comes. You know, mow your grass in the fall. And that's when the bush laughed back. Things started growing. And I don't know if it got like some miracle grow. If my kids were out there secretly watering it in the night. I don't know. But this thing just, start, it just starts growing. And, and I come out, it's like halfway through fall, really haven't looked back. I'm like, oh, come on. And it's actually blossoming. I'm like, it's like, you know, it's, it's October. Why, why are you? And the rose bush had the last laugh. This past summer, as I got my lawnmower out again, I, I got close to it. And I was like, nah. <laughs> Here's the truth. The lady who lived in our house before us, she's lived there for like 30 years. I don't know how long that rose bush has been there. What I do know is that rose bush has got some serious roots. You know what I've had to do? I've got a picture. Can I show the picture here? What we've done is we actually built our garden around beside this rose bush. You see it right there? See the grass? I mean, I don't even try. I'm not going, this thing does not need pine straw to survive. Like, it is on its own. But we just put our garden right here. We've got some, you know, some cucumbers down here, some tomatoes over there. Here's what we did. We said, fine. We're just going to say, make yourself a home, rose bush. <laughs> Move on in. The bees like flowers anyway. It's good for, our, good for our garden. And here's what I got to tell you. Unless we attack anger or any sin in our life at its roots, the alternative is that we just say, make yourself at home. Move on in. Let me accommodate you. Let me make excuses as to why it's a good idea to have you here because the bees come for my flowers anyway. It's good. And guys, I want to be a church, a church family who says, no, I get it. God saves us by his grace, and he forgives us, and, and we have faith in him. But more than that, I want to live my life for him. And he does have expectations for my life. And so maybe anger is not your thing. Jesus talks about it there. Maybe, but what is it? 
And one of those little seeds that are in your life that you, you know deep down, like, this isn't the Jesus way. Jesus said, dig those things up at the root. If they're small, they're easy to pluck out. If they're bigger, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some team lifting with a friend. It might take some counseling. It's going to take some time on your knees praying to God. And here's the cool thing. You don't have to dig it up by yourself. In fact, that's the whole Jesus plan. Jesus said, I realize you can't dig up your sin by yourself. That's why Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, and he gave his life on the cross. He said, I'm going to bear the weight of your sin. I'm going to dig up these thorny rosebush roots. I'm going to put them on my own shoulders, and I'm going to take the punishment for your sin. And Jesus went down into a grave, but then he rose from the dead. And in his raising from the dead, he gave us a clean slate. He gave us a chance to pursue new life in him. And then he says, all right, I've done the heavy lifting. Now here's what you need to do. Do some weeding from time to time. Find the things in your life that are potentially going to grow into a distraction away from me and pluck those up at the root. And guys, I'm going to tell you, you got to do it every day. You got to do it every time you feel that old you raising up inside you. Unless you kill sin at its roots, you might as well give in and choose to make it comfortable because it will win. But Jesus has given us an alternative. And that is the beautiful contrast of Jesus. Because on our own, we can't deal with it. But with him, he takes care of it. And he gives us a plan, and he gives us a community, and he gives us the resources to manage it. He provides a way to bring us grace and forgiveness, even when we don't deserve it. He strips back the layers of religion and rules and rules and rules to get to the heart of what separates us from God. And that's our sin. And he teaches us to live in contrast to the world so that through that new life, we can shine light in dark places and we can make this world a better place to live because of his love. I just want to pray for you guys this morning. Let's pray. God, you are indeed good, and uh, through your love, I know I found forgiveness. Um, you talked about anger a lot this morning, and I just feel right now that there are people in this room who anger is festering in them right now, and even as I speak, they are angry at me. <laughs> I'm bringing it up. Lord, I, I pray that you give them a, a space, a head space, a personal space to find some way of dealing with that. And, um, Lord, they'll know that the only solution is really to give it to you. I thank you for this community that you've helped us surround ourselves with. I pray that you help it to continue to grow um, so that we can continue to reach people who are dealing with these deep roots that need to be rooted out. Um, God, I love you. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.